Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So the big news, I debated Jeff Booth on Bitcoin. And boy, oh boy, it got nasty, down and dirty. Let me tell you what. Actually, that didn't happen. It was great. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was an awesome conversation. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have even done a video on it. But Josh made such an incredible thumbnail. He sent that over to me this morning. I said, oh, that, that, that thumbnail is brilliant, Josh. I'll do the video just because you put so much time and energy into that uh, creative outlet, we'll say, with that thumbnail. But let's. But we did have an incredible conversation or debate. It was actually a debate. We have different opinions on what would happen if we went into a "quote unquote" Bitcoin standard. So we had this debate on uh, on Peter. What is Peter's last name? Let me go over there real quick here, guys. Peter McCormick. Strongly, Peter McCormick. Thank you, Josh. Peter McCormick. Uh, I would strongly suggest checking it out. This is a debate I did like a week ago, something like that. And, uh, you know, what's great about this is we're all on the same team here. I mean, Peter, Jeff, myself, we're all about freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, privacy. And Jeff is doing some incredible things in the Bitcoin space to make sure that we have a parallel system to the current system that we do have in case we have like a central bank digital currency as an example we've got a release valve for those people who value the things that we value on this channel but just because people are on the same team it doesn't mean that they can't have differences and those differences are fun to discuss in a debate type of format so you've got to check out this video it's really really cool and the basic premise here is I believe in a Bitcoin world and a Bitcoin standard, we would have fractional reserve lending. And Jeff believes that we would not. And because we would have fractional reserve lending, at least this is my view, the probability is very high that over decades, we would get right back to a position where we are today, meaning that the economy would be very financialized. You would have derivatives based on Bitcoin. You would have... Uh, you know, the banking system or, or, or bank-like entities, we'll call them fiduciaries, that would be, that would kind of centralize more of the Bitcoin because they're offering a return. People wanted cheaper interest rates for borrowing, all these things. And then I use as an example, the 1800s, because I think that there, you can draw direct parallels to the 1800s when we were on the gold standard compared to what life would be like under a Bitcoin standard. Now, Jeff's view is no, I'm completely wrong. Because I just, uh, well, one of the things he always says, and he says this on Twitter as well, and this, I, I like Jeff, he's a great dude, we're on the same team, but when he gives me this response, it's, Jeff, come on, buddy, this is complete nonsense. So what he always kind of defaults back to is, well, George, you just can't see the vision here. You just can't understand what a Bitcoin world would be like because you're too, you're too caught up in this fiat monetary system. You're just looking at everything through a fiat lens. And whenever Jeff says, <laughs> I kind of just roll my eyes. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Jeff, you're right. You're right. I, I, I just don't get it. That, that must be it. If I only could understand, if I only had the epiphany that you had with all the Bitcoin maxis, I would fall right in line, and I would have the exact same worldview. I mean, come on, come on. So uh, I think the real difference here 
is uh, the acknowledgement of the 1800s. So the Bitcoiners will say, oh, George, you can't compare the 1800s or the gold standard because Bitcoin's way, way different. And I get that. I totally get the argument here. But you have to analyze, you have to take it a step further and say, it's not just that we have something different. Why is it different? So you could say, okay, we've got 21 million Bitcoin. That's all there'll ever be. Assuming we don't have fractional reserve lending, uh, derivatives, paper, Bitcoin, et cetera. But then it is true that a big difference between gold and Bitcoin is you can just take your Bitcoin and carry it in your back pocket. So you don't really need someone to store it for you. So this was the argument from the Bitcoiners as to why you can't compare the two, because back then you had to take your gold. And if you had a bunch of it, you'd have to put it in the bank. You need to keep it somewhere safe. And then the bank can therefore go ahead and lend it out. They're going to try to make money a profit motive and they're going to fractional reserve lend it and yada, yada, yada. But this doesn't explain why you had people choose fractional reserve lending versus full reserve. You see, just because you need to put your money in a bank, okay, fine. The free market could have chosen full reserve banking. So the fact that you can keep your Bitcoin in your back pocket doesn't really get around the fact that in the 1800s, people, yes, they could not store their gold in their back pocket, but they still had a choice between fractional reserve and full reserve, and they chose fractional reserve banking. You see, the argument there from Jeff, and again, I, I, I strongly suggest listening to this, uh, so it's not just me putting words in his mouth, but you're actually hearing it in the context of his overall argument, um, is that, well, George, he actually agrees that initially we would have full reserve bank, or excuse me, we would have fractional reserve lending with Bitcoin. But he thinks that this would lead to just everyone who did that just getting wrecked, going out of business, and all of a sudden humanity has this epiphany moment where they're like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this fractional reserve lending for so long, but we realize now that we've been wrong. We've been doing this for 5,000 years. And all of a sudden we wake up as a society as all 8 billion people. And because all these people are going bust that are fractional reserve lending Bitcoin, we see the mistakes that we've made over the last 5,000 years, and we have a complete paradigm shift in humanity. This is the argument, right? Um, but again, I'd take it back to the 1800s. Because in the 1800s, did we have banks getting wrecked, quote unquote, as a result of fraction reserve lending? The answer is yes, we did. And what did the free market choose? Even though the banks were getting wrecked, even though we had bankruptcy, we had failures, we had banks going bust. We had people losing their money, losing their life savings because XYZ Bank would go bust. But did the free market choose full reserve even with all of that happening? No, they still chose fraction reserve. I'm not saying it was the right move. I'm just saying that's what human beings have done in the past. So why on earth won't they do that in the future? And you say, oh, well, you can store it in your back pocket so we don't even need banks. Okay, that's fine. That's another uh, one. I don't really think that was Jeff's argument. But again, you, you want to watch the video to, to hear it in his own words. But that's a lot of the, the Bitcoiners' arguments that I hear on, on Twitter. Well, we won't even have banks, so you can't fractional reserve lend it. Okay, well, what we're going to have is people wanting a return on their Bitcoin. They're going to want an interest rate. If you've got 
a million dollars, let's say a million uh, Bitcoin or what, whatever it is, right? You've got 50 Bitcoin or something that's worth X amount of goods and services. You're going to want to increase your savings. If you're not spending it, you want to utilize that savings. So what are you going to do? You're going to give it to a fiduciary and that fiduciary is going to invest it. And pretty soon we're going to have fiduciaries that lend that out and then say, hey, what we can do is we can fracture reserve lend it and then we can pay you a higher interest rate. And then they're going to say, uh, okay, just like they did in the 1800s. <laughs> That's why they chose fractional reserve because they could get a higher interest rate on their savings and because they could borrow at cheaper interest rates. So what you have to argue in the future is that people aren't going to want an interest rate on their savings. And you have to also argue that people aren't going to want to borrow at the cheapest interest rate possible. That to me is a stretch. That, I, that to me is, the, the probability of that is incredibly low, if not zero, when you consider what humanity has done for the past 5,000 years. And we've tried this over and over and over and over and over again. And at no point did the free market choose full reserve. You see, so whether it's a bank or whether you call it a fiduciary, <laughs> at the end of the day, you still got paper Bitcoin. You still got fractured reserve lending is the point, right? And so the argument there is that, well, George, you just don't understand. Because if you just read Jeff's booth, or excuse me, if you just read Jeff Booth's book, you would realize that under a Bitcoin standard, we're going to have massive deflation, massive deflation. In other words, goods and services are going to go down in price, even though they're priced in Bitcoin. Right. So we're going to have this just massive deflation. So in other words, your Bitcoin savings is going to increase in value, even if you don't get an interest rate. So therefore, no one's going to even want an interest rate because they're going to have to take the additional risk. This is the argument. Right. But again, we go back to the 1800s and we see that from 1880 to 1900, we had. Ta-da. Deflation, we had 50% deflation, 50%. So the value of your dollar went up by 50% relative to goods and services or the value of your money, right? And did people want a return on their investment above and beyond the return that they were getting just through deflation due to productivity increases? Yes, they did. In fact, look at the, I actually looked this up the other day. The amount of mortgages that we saw during that time exploded, Expl the amount of mortgages, right? So people, their money, their savings is making all of this uh, increasing in purchasing power relative to goods and services, but they're still out there borrowing. They're still out there taking out a mortgage to buy a house because the argument from a lot of Bitcoiners is, well, we're never going to have speculation again because now you have to buy real estate in order to just keep up with the rate of inflation. But if we just had deflation, then the only reason someone would buy a house is just to put a roof over their head. And, and because their money is increasing at such a massive rate, increasing in purchasing power, then no one's ever, ever, ever going to have to need a mortgage to buy a house because they can just buy it with cash. That's, <laughs> that's another one of these arguments that you get. But again, don't take my word on it. Just look what they did in the 1800s when we had 50% deflation from 1880 to 1900. Did people take out mortgages to buy a house? 
Yes. Did they want the lowest interest rate? Yes. Did they want a return on their savings? Yes. Did they choose fractional reserve lending even though all the banks were going bust? Yes. <laughs> so th this is my point, right? And so bottom line here, throughout this uh, debate, we just kind of kept going back and back, back, excuse me, back and forth and back and forth. And uh, at the end, we pretty much had the, the same conclusion. I don't think I changed Jeff's mind and he definitely uh, didn't change my mind. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. What will be really interesting is we have about an hour and a half here, and both of us, I think, intentionally kind of kept things very, very simple. We, we didn't really get down into the nitty-gritty, which Jeff is, is totally capable of doing. Uh, Jeff is totally competent and capable of going down the whole, you know, checking out the, the, the current monetary system and maybe discussing that a little bit further. And we, I think, again, both of us during this interview intentionally didn't go down that path because we wanted to just uh, kind of give our argument at surface level and keep things very, very basic so everyone could follow it. But in the future, I would love to have Jeff come on uh, my show and we could actually go even deeper and discuss uh, more of the nuance and the complexities of his argument and my argument, such as if we do have deflation, you see, one of the things that we had in the 1800s is we had consumer prices going up, but we had nominal wages, excuse me, we had consumer prices going down, uh, we had deflation, but we had nominal wages going up. So you see, one of Jeff's arguments is that, well, if people took out all of these mortgages, they themselves would get wrecked because the burden of their debt is going to increase massively because the value of their Bitcoin is going to increase every single year. Therefore, at the value of their Bitcoin, and their, their loan is nominal, right? So let's say you borrow 50 Bitcoin. But let's just assume that the value of that Bitcoin goes up and up and up every single year. So that means the burden of your debt would also go up. And Jeff's argument is it would go up to a point where you just simply could not afford to pay back the debt and you would go bust. And this would teach everyone a lesson that, they, that we would all learn that we can't borrow money anymore. We just can't borrow credit. We just have to increase productivity, and that increases the value. And then we can go ahead and extend credit, but on a full reserve, so long as it's backed up with the Bitcoin. I think this would would basically be his argument. But again, I don't want to put words in his mouth there. 
So the, the, uh, the, the rationale there is that if you have Bitcoin increasing in value, then a lot fewer people are going to want to borrow money. Therefore, you won't really need fractional reserve lending, right? But again, we go back to the 1800s and we can see that this is exactly what happened. But did everyone get wrecked? No. Why? Because nominal wages actually increased. Why? Because we were so productive. So if we go into a Bitcoin standard, and if we're so wildly productive, then why wouldn't we see the same thing where nominal wages actually go up? You see, Jeff's whole argument is that nominal wages are going to go down. And even that, I would argue, is, is, is a massive stretch. Can you imagine right now, in 2023, people being okay with their wages going down in nominal terms, let's say 10% per year? Going down, guys. Please, Going down. Like, please, no, George. We don't want that. But but can, but can you imagine? Like we got all these people striking, and I get it. It's twenty twenty three, and the Bitcoin standard. We'd have to fast forward to twenty thirty or whatever, and the world would be different. But show me the world where human beings, the average Joe and Jane, is totally okay with their nominal wages going down by ten percent per year. That the average Joe and Jane would say, oh, yeah, I know my wages are going down by 10% per year. But, you know, I don't really care because I know the value of my money is going up by 20% per year. So I'm, I have a net benefit. Okay, most people <laughs> aren't going to fall into that category. I can assure you. So, again, the, the argument that everyone's going to get wrecked if they take out a mortgage, I don't think holds a lot of weight, especially if you argue that we're going to be massively productive because this is going to allow employers to increase nominal wages, even though their input costs and, the, and we have consumer price deflation, you see. So, but that's an example of some of the nuance that we couldn't really get into in this debate, which I would love to get into uh, with Jeff in the future, because he's someone that really thinks through this stuff. You know, very, well, I'm not going to say very few people in the Bitcoin space, because there's very few people in general, in the gold space, in any space, actually take the time to, to think about things on multiple levels and go through these thought experiments. And Jeff is one of the guys who, who does and does it very, very well. So like I said, it's a very fun debate. Uh, I don't think I changed his mind. He didn't change my mind. I'd strongly suggest listening to it so you can see how we articulate this in the context in which we discuss this. Um, and, you know, I think it would be fantastic for us to do this in the future with a little bit more complexity, understanding that at the end of the day, we're all on the same team here. We're all promoting free market capitalism, uh, privacy, liberty, personal sovereignty, and, uh, and the values that we discuss on this channel all the time. And again, I want to take my hat off to Jeff because he's doing a lot of angel investing like my good friend Lynn Alden in the space to develop this Bitcoin ecosystem that I think is going to be massively beneficial regardless of whether or not we have fractional reserve lending or not because it gives people a, a way to transact outside of the system and in a world where the probabilities of getting a central bank digital currency are increasing exponentially, I think this is going to be a huge, huge, huge service, even if Bitcoin is uh, traded or lent out from a fractional reserve standpoint, even if we don't have all these productivity gains, and even if we don't have the, uh, the deflation 
that Jeff talks about on going on to a Bitcoin standard. You know, there's one other thing that I forgot that was very key to this debate. And uh, this was people voting uh, for higher taxes. Because I said, listen, what you got to understand is that uh, people in the past have voted for higher and higher taxation. Because one of the arguments is that we'll have no government or very limited government with Bitcoin. Um, and I said, well, that doesn't really hold weight with me because at the end of the day, regardless of what type of money standard we're on, people are still going to vote for stimulus checks. And especially during a, a, a crisis situation, they're going to vote to increase the money supply if that's what they think will kick the can down the road or give them a short-term solution to whatever economic, uh, economic pain that we are experiencing. And Jeff's argument there is that, no, that's that, that, well, his argument is that will happen, but what will inevitably, it will, uh, what it will inevitably lead to are people just leaving the United States in mass exodus, going to some place like El Salvador. So as an example, if uh, on a Bitcoin standard, people, the average Joe and Jane vote for in a democracy, let's say a 40% income tax that all the people with their Bitcoin can just put it in the back pocket, say, no, I'm not paying these 40% in taxes. I'm going to go to El Salvador. And then what will happen is all that human capital will go to El Salvador and their economy will completely blow up. Their economy will do well. In other words, their economy will do extremely well. Their economy will grow just by leaps. I mean, you know, their economy will grow 20, 30% per year, their GDP and then all these other countries will see that, and then they will adopt Bitcoin, and then people will gravitate from Canada, the United States, Australia, etc., to all of these jurisdictions, even though they're third world countries, that are now adopting Bitcoin. And that's when the adoption increases globally, not just within the United States. And that's how you prevent the uh, politicians from increasing taxes because they have this brain drain, uh, if you want to call it that. So this argument, I, I think, is a it, it, on paper, it makes sense. But you have to actually look at what people do and what they have been doing. So right now, Jeff, as an example, lives in Canada. This is home of Justin Trudeau. This is home of 40 plus percent taxes. This is home of seizing the, uh, the, the, the truckers bank accounts. I mean, could you have an environment that was more draconian, that was more Orwellian with higher taxes? So my point there is that I know Jeff has been traveling. He's trying to set up a plan B, which I congratulate him for. But, but why haven't we moved already? Like, why aren't we already, why aren't all the Bitcoiners that are living in places with high taxes, such as California, such as Canada, such as the United States, you put the whole United States in that category, or in Europe, why are they not living in El Salvador right now? Or at the very least, Puerto Rico, where you could get 0% taxes. So I don't understand the argument that in the future, under a Bitcoin standard, if taxes go up to 30% of, let's say, uh, tax revenue, go up to 30% of GDP when you include federal, state, and local, that that will trigger a mass exodus from the United States. But currently, under the dollar standard, people just stay put when they could do the exact same thing and they have the exact same... In, uh, they have the exact same incentives in place. Like right now, why not go to Puerto Rico? Why not go to El Salvador? You get my point. That was another part of the debate that we just kind of went back and forth on. And um, 
Again, it was a fun discussion. I don't think we made any progress, but I do think these types of discussions are very helpful because it allows people to get different views and it allows them to get out of their echo chamber, whether they're anti-Bitcoin or whether they're pro-Bitcoin, and it, it maybe gives them something to think about that they didn't think about before. And I think on net balance, that, that's a huge benefit. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism, and we'll see you in the next video.